Um, so we're going to be uh, taking a slight detour. Um, if you've been with us on Sundays, you'll know that we've been going through the Gospel of Matthew, uh, verse by verse uh, and chapter by chapter. And PD will continue that with us next week. But today we're going to take a slight detour and we're going to be looking um, at an event in, Gon- in, the, in John's Gospel. Uh, looking um, at chapter 13 specifically and looking at a very interesting event. You see, Jesus knows he's about to die. He knows he's about to die on the cross um, for the sins of the world. Um, And it's really interesting. You would have thought, for example, put yourself in a position, you know that your hour has come, you know you're about to die, if, if I was Jesus, I'd be kind of saving my best miracles to last. Right? You want to kind of go out on a big bang. You want to kind of be like, show your disciples how powerful you are. Do some, I don't know, maybe make Peter's head spin. Do something really cool and amazing. But it's really interesting that one of the last kind of physical acts that Jesus does is actually an act of humility and an act of service. Before he goes to do what is the greatest act, it's amazing how he kind of ends with that. And this brings us um, to what we're going to focus on today, which is simply this. As Christians, we are called to serve. We are called to serve as men and women of God. Jesus himself calls us to serve. I'm um, just listening to a sermon earlier this week, and, and the pastor kind of made a really interesting point, that sometimes when you're going through a particular passage or text, um, or even a or book of the Bible, sometimes it actually helps to look right at the end of that section to understand kind of what is the purpose of the book, what is the intent of that section or that book. And it kind of helps us to understand. The section we're looking at today is going to be John chapter 13. And we're just going to be going from verse 1 to verse 17. But let me just briefly read to you the last few verses which he says. In verse 14 he says this, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet you also ought to wash one another's feet. As we kind of look at what, as we kind of go into a bit more depth into this act of service he does, which if some of you are familiar with this passage, he essentially washes his disciples' feet. If we come to the end, we realise that Jesus says, look, just as I have done this, if you are my disciple, if you are my follower, then, then follow me. Do as I do. Follow my example just as I have done this. I want you to do the same. And as disciples of Jesus, we essentially see him give us a masterclass in what it means to serve. Because the truth is, the world has an idea of uh, its own idea of what service is, and even as Christians, we can have a wrong idea of what it truly means to serve. But Jesus here says that I'm calling you to serve, but I'm not just calling you to do it, I'm also going to demonstrate how that is done. And not only that, I'm going to teach you and show you how to do this. So let's briefly pray together and then we'll read through the text and begin to unpack it. So Father, I want to thank you just for this time that we get to spend in your word. Lord, I pray Lord, that you would speak to us through your word, that you would guide me, that my, the words that I say would truly be of you and from you and that you would change our lives, that you would challenge us, encourage us and also give us hope. As we begin to unpack this, may you speak to us. In your name we pray. Amen. So this is what it says in John chapter 13 verse 1. He says this, 
Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, then rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, good old Simon Peter. And Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. And then Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And Simon Peter said, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. And therefore he said, you are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, A servant is no greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Jesus gives his disciples a masterclass in what it means to truly serve. As we see in the context of the whole text, this is, this is Jesus in, in the upper room with his disciples one last time before they will betray him and he will go to a cross to die for our sins alone. He decides to take out this specific time. And if you look at John's account, there's a number of different chapters which is dedicated to this conversation which he has. We can actually get to see and know what Jesus says, some of the final things that Jesus says to his disciples. And one of them is this that you would serve as I serve you. And as we look at this, we're going to quickly go through this bit by bit and look at the different aspects of this because in this display of him washing his disciples' feet, because it's not really something which we generally do within our culture today. We don't generally wash each other's feet. Jesus is not just simply telling us to do something like a a physical ritual. He's saying, look, look at the greater meaning of what this is and thus do it that to each other. Take this as a picture. Take this as a symbol of what it really means to serve and then do that to others. And first and foremost, before we look at anything, it's important to know that our service is first and foremost 
to God and then out of that service it then reaches to others. And we'll see that throughout the whole of Jesus' life that he is in constant obedience to the Father. It is him who he is serving first and foremost. He is his head and his focal point. And out of that, that enables him to then serve others. So as we go through this text, we will see not only how Jesus serves, we also see why Jesus serves, but we also begin to get an idea of the, uh, how, what fuels him in that service. What enables him to serve? Because as we'll look at later on, Jesus himself is, is in a place where he knows he's about to die. He knows he's about to be betrayed. His heart is, is torn. His, he knows the pain which is about to come. He is in a moment of distress and discomfort and yet he is able to serve others. So look with me in verse 1. And it says this, Now before the feast of the Passover... When Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father. True service is costly. When he says, before the, they are there, before the feast of the Passover, and if most of you know the um, account, the, the Passover was a feast which they celebrated each year to remember that which happened in Exodus which essentially was this, that God's judgment was coming on both the Egyptians and the Israelites, that their firstborn would be killed unless God gave them a way out. And this way out was this, that if they took a perfect lamb, if they slaughtered this lamb and they placed the blood on the doorpost, that when the Spirit of God came to bring judgment, he would see that blood and literally pass over. We see that Jesus is our Passover lamb and just as when the Spirit of God in Exodus saw the blood and passed over, Jesus' blood is poured out on a wooden cross and when we accept him, it is as if his blood, the perfect lamb, his blood is on our doorpost so that when that judgment which we deserve comes, God sees the blood and passes over. And as we kind of see him, and as we read, Jesus knew his hour had come. Jesus came for his sole purpose. Although he did so many other things, but they were all really pointing to that one purpose, was to die on a cross for our sins. His greatest act of service was the cross. And his greatest act of service cost him everything. We see in Jesus that true service is costly. And then I bring that back to myself because the truth is that often, if we're honest with ourselves, when we get, when we're called to serve, often we're trying to, we we often, (laughs) we often try to avoid it when it's costly. We only try to serve when actually it doesn't cost me anything. And if anything, when we are ever called to serve when it does cost us, we kind of end up being surprised like, whoa, whoa, whoa this is meant to actually cost me? Whoa, 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 whoa I, I, I didn't expect this. I thought, whoa, whoa, whoa this, is, this is requiring much of me. But when we look at this, we see that Jesus says, no, true service is costly. Don't, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when it costs you something. As kind of one pastor once said, salvation is free, um, freely, sorry, let me say it this way. Salvation costs you nothing, but discipleship costs you everything. And this idea that Jesus comes to us, he says, look, my gift of salvation is free, 
That is free. You cannot earn that. You cannot purchase that. I've purchased that and I give it to you freely. Just accept it. But know in being my follower, that's going to cost you. And the thing is though, he gives us that cost but then he also gives us the promise. He says, if you lose your life, for my sake you'll find it. And he says, anything that you, and he says, all the sufferings that you do in my name, in the future when you get to be with me, they will pale in comparison to the glory you then receive. He says, yes, this will cost you, but in costing you, it will lead to life. And it reminds me of King David where he says this in the end of Samuel. In Second Samuel 24, 24, he says this, uh, and kind of referring to kind of an offering, an offering he is, he is to give. And he says this, No, but I will surely buy it from you for a price, nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. He's basically, in essence, he's given a, something to offer which he doesn't need to pay for. And he says, No, 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 I will pay for that. I will pay for that offering because I'm not going to offer something which doesn't cost me. David's like, look, I'm willing to lay down my life. I'm willing to serve in a way that costs me. And the question is, in my service, am I willing to count the cost? Or am I just looking for service which will cost me nothing? And then he continues on. Jesus says, well, rather the author John says this about Jesus, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. True service endures to the end. In essence, true service is committed. Jesus did not go into his service of his disciples and his service of us half-heartedly. He didn't kind of do the job halfway, but he went to the very end. He was there until the end. He finished it. He completed it, even when that completion meant pain and death on the cross. His true service says that my service is committed. It's not half-hearted. It's not going half of the way. It's going all the way. Is my service to Christ and others, is it committed? It is, is it going all the way? Is it enduring to the end? And then he says this in verse 2, And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. And Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. Jesus, the author here, gives us kind of this, this really cool thing of what was going on in Jesus' heart and mind. It says, Jesus knowing three things. Out of knowing these three things, Jesus was able to get up and serve. I mean, that's kind of, and I like the way the author words it is literally that way. It says that Jesus knowing A, B and C, therefore rose up and served. And what were these three things which he says? He says, these three things are this. The first one is that the Father had given him all things into his hand. Jesus knew that the Father had given all things into his hands. Number two, that the Father, well rather that he had come from the Father. And then the third thing was that he was going to the Father. In essence, Jesus knew who he was and what the Father had already done for him. Jesus knew his identity. 
He knew that he was not just, he was, he, he knew that he was from God and that he was God. He knew the power that he had. He knew all that the Father had already done for him. He was secure in his identity in the Father. And then number two, he knew his mission and his purpose. He knew that he had come from God for a reason. He hadn't just come down to do nothing or to kind of chill out for 30 years. He had a reason. He had a purpose. And then number three, he knew that he was going back to the Father. He knew how his story would end. So put those three things. He knew his identity. He knew his mission. And he knew his end. And out of that, that enabled him to serve. And that is the same for us as Christians. When we know who we are in Christ... When we know our identity, it changes how we serve. We're no longer seeking to serve people to gain something from them, but we're serving people because we already have all that we have in Christ. We're not seeking to gain somebody approval because we have Christ's approval. We're accepted by him and him, him, and therefore we're freed up to serve because we already have what we need. We're not trying to gain that which we need from somebody else because we already have it. We know our identity and we're secure in him. But then it goes on, we know our mission. When we know our mission, when we know that Christ has sent us, we're not just on this earth, he's not just left, saved us and left us, he saved us and given us a mission and a purpose. And that changes how we serve, especially during times of hardship. Because let's be honest, as soon as it begins to cost us, there's often going to be like, okay, you know, I'm just going to step back a bit, step back a bit. But then God says, no, know that you have a mission, know that you have a purpose. And I love the last one, know how the story ends. When you know how the story ends, it changes how you live in it, right? I'll give you a silly example, right? One of my favourite TV shows is 24. Anybody seen 24? Anybody a fan of 24? Jack Bauer, anybody? Okay, we've got one. Maybe two, maybe two. Okay, let me give you the quick synopsis of this, right? So, 24 is about a guy called Jack Bauer, right? And he is a counter-terrorist agent. So, he essentially stops terrorists, okay? Right, and basically each season takes place over the time of a day, 24 episodes, and it happens in real time, okay? So, in essence, he has to stop them, okay? Now, imagine, right, uh, there have been about nine seasons, okay? So, that's quite a lot of seasons. And what happens is, at basically, at the end of every episode, there is some sort of cliffhanger, right? And I remember kind of like watching kind of halfway through season five and it gets to the end of the episode and Jack's life is in peril. He's literally about to die. And you're kind of on the edge of your seat and you kind of like, and then the episode ends, you're like, oh no, what's going to happen to him? Is he going to die? Is he going to make it? And then you remember that there are three more seasons to go. So he obviously must live. And then you're kind of like, oh, dang, oh well. When you know the ending, it changes how you interpret the story. When you see that character and he's about to die and then you're like, oh, actually, oh, he kind of makes it. It kind of takes out the tension. The truth is that as Christians, we can see the end of our story. We can look to the book of Revelation. And here's just a glance of how the story ends for those who are in Christ. Let me give you two things, right? Our story ends this. Our enemy is defeated and we get to be reunited with our king. In Revelation chapter 20 and verse 7 to 10, it says this, Now when the thousand years had expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, 
Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Our enemy, our great deceiver, his days are numbered. This ends with him defeated. Our enemy, Satan, the great deceiver, will be defeated. That is his end. And for those who have trusted in Christ, this is our end. Revelation 21, verse 1 to 5 says this, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes There shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Right, for these words are not only true, but they are also faithful. Our end is this. For us in Jesus, we get to dwell with God. Our enemy is defeated. Sin is conquered. And we get to live in perfect harmony with our King. That is our ending. And that changes how we serve today as it did for Jesus. Jesus knows that he can go to a cross because he knows there's a resurrection. He can lay down his life and willingly serve because he knows how it ends. He knows his God is faithful. He knows he will rise again and that is the same for us. When we are called to serve and it costs us, we know this. We know how it ends. Our ending is secure in him. And then it goes on further in verse 5. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. True service is humble. True service requires humility. To kind of understand the context of what Jesus was doing, we need to kind of understand what, what, who would normally do this role of washing a disciple's feet. Because we, we don't really see this today. We don't really wash each other's feet. But essentially, this act of washing people's feet, this is an act that only slaves or servants performed. And when the master of a wealthy household returned from a journey, or at times a day of labour, a slave would wash his feet. People wore open-toed sandals in the first century, which would have made this an unpleasant task. True service involves humility. The role of somebody in that culture to wash someone's feet, it was performed by that of a servant, well, that of a slave. 
And Jesus himself was God, the creator of everything. And he humbled himself. Think about it, from becoming creator God from the highest position to what is deemed the lowest position as a slave. He literally humbles himself to the lowest position. And this changes how we serve. Because, you know, that, you know those times when, when God asks you to do something and you're kind of like, but God, you want me to do that? God, come on, I'm, I don't know if you know this, but I'm Daniel, God. I mean, you want me to do that? I mean, that's, don't you think that's a bit low for me? Think how crazy that kind of talk is in comparison to what Jesus did. Jesus wasn't like to the Father, whoa, 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 you want me to watch the disciples? Come on, Father, I'm, I'm like God. Come on, you know I'm God. I mean, they're like people. Then their feet are dirty. You want me to wash? Okay, all right. You, you don't read of any of that. You don't see of any of that. Jesus willingly humbles himself throughout the whole of his earthly life. I mean, and his greatest act of humility is in the cross. So the question comes to us as Christians when we're called to serve, are we willing to humble ourselves? Are we willing to take tasks when he calls us, which are tasks which are considered that of, hum- of humility, tasks which are considered, yeah, that of humility? Or are we kind of, or have we have a false sense of who we are? And it was actually because Jesus knew what he had, he was able to humble himself. It's like, look, I'm not having to prove to anybody around me I'm great. So I, already, I already know what the Father thinks of me. I already know what he's given me. And that way he's able to serve. And as Christians, like, I know who I am in Christ. Therefore, you know what? I can take that lowly position. I can humble myself. And in that very act as well, we see that true service isn't afraid of getting dirty. And as we kind of mentioned before, they, 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 they didn't wear their Reebok or Nike trainers. They had open-toe sandals. They didn't have nice clean pavements. They had dusty roads uh, and, and dirt and mud. This would have been an unpleasant task. And yet Jesus wasn't afraid of getting his hands dirty. He wasn't afraid of getting down and getting stuck in. And as, as Christians, there'll be moments where God calls us out of our comfort zone and to that place of where actually, I mean, we're handling, um, not literally, well, maybe literally actually, but uh, figuratively, washing dirt off people's feet. And it's a messy job, but as we kind of read later on, there's a beautiful promise when it comes to service. True service will often mean getting our hands dirty and then I love this next one, and it's, this one is a big challenge in my own heart, is this. True service isn't people-pleasing. And he says this, well, rather, Peter says this. Good old Peter. You've got to love Peter, man. I love how he just speaks what he says. Imagine if Peter didn't really speak what he says. We wouldn't be given so many great lessons and examples and uh, reminders of how we are often like this as well. In verse 6, It says this, then he came to Simon Peter. So he's gone for all the other disciples and now it's Simon Peter's turn. And as you really expect, Simon has something to say and he says this, Lord, are you washing my feet? And then Jesus responded to him and he says, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. And then Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And then Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. 
if we take a step back a bit and look at what Peter is actually saying. In essence, Peter is saying, I don't agree with the way you're serving. I don't agree with the way you are serving me. I don't agree with what you are doing. I have a better idea of how you should be serving. If anything, Jesus, you shouldn't be serving me. I should be doing this. I should be doing this. In essence, he says that I don't agree with how you are serving. And Jesus has, uh, Jesus is kind of in a, in a choice now. What does he do? Does Jesus say, okay, you're right. I'm just going to, you know what? You're right, Peter. I, I've got this one wrong. Sorry. Next disciple. Or does he, does he actually stand for what he's been called to stand for? We see that Jesus doesn't serve Peter in the way in which Peter thinks is best. He serves Peter in the way which he knows is best. This is a big challenge for me. Because it's so easy for all of us to be like, when somebody asks us to, well, when we're serving people, um, it is so often we can be in that, in that position where we're in danger of trying to please them as opposed to pleasing Christ. And we know, we know that this only does a number of different things. We know that it only enables people in their own sin and it actually ends up being harmful to them. I had the, I've had the blessing of kind of uh, being able to be part of kind of youth groups and hang out with children and teach children. And, and this continually hits me in the face daily. And, as, and if there's any parents here, I'd imagine you kind of know this on a daily basis as well, is that your children don't know what is best for them. And in me being obedient, often, often, for example, when a child will come up to me and ask for a certain thing or ask me to treat them in a certain way, often if I am obedient to them, it will actually lead to their, their downfall. It will actually lead to not them, not them flourishing, but actually it will be against them and they just can't see it. When we're called to serve people, we're called to be obedient to the Father and follow him, our true service at times will mean that we serve people in a way that they don't understand, as Peter did not. And I love how Jesus says, look, you don't understand this, Peter, but one day you'll, you'll kind of get this. And he's like, no, 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 no. He's like, no, Jesus, like, look, one day you'll understand this. And there'll be moments as Christians where he calls us to serve one another in a way which the other person doesn't understand. And which... In a way, at first, that other person, there's a, there's a lashback, there's a confrontation. And in those moments, we are called to stand firm on Christ and what he says and on the truth. Because that is the greatest act of love. And that is the greatest act of, servant, of service. We so often think that often service is just doing what people say, but actually... It is not. It is making choices which are best for that person. It may not be the choices that they agree with and it's not maybe not the thing that they will enjoy at that moment. But if we trust in Christ, we know that it leads to ultimate joy. And that can often be costly. It can often mean a season of that. When you make that stand, it can maybe even mean that there's a season where that person is cut off from you, when they themselves cut themselves off from you. But by God's grace, so often he can bring back the relationship. And even in my own life, I've seen that happen where, uh, where I've had uh, in the past when I was at uni, a dear friend of mine, he, he was in a bad place, in a bad relationship. He was walking in a bad way. And it took me ages, I mean ages, to finally work up the courage 
feeling being convicted, to then address him and go, hey bro, what's going on here? And now in his mind, just like Peter, he's like, what, what are you doing? You shouldn't be, you know, this isn't you serving me. If you really love me, you'd be, you'd be encouraging me. You wouldn't be challenging me. But it's like, no, no, the Bible is clear and this is wrong. I need to challenge you. And at that moment of time, there was tension between that relationship. But by God's grace, and I really mean by God's grace, a year or so after, and I hadn't heard from him for ages, he came back and said, bro, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you for stepping up and confronting me. And unfortunately, we won't experience all of that in all of our relationships, but by God's grace, we may in some that when we lovingly step forward and confront, as even Jesus here, Jesus isn't afraid to confront Peter and to teach him and challenge him, but he always does it lovingly. There's a way of doing truth in love, speaking, speaking the truth in love. We need both truth and we need both love. But by God's grace, sometimes we actually see that they actually come back when their eyes are open and actually, you know what? Thank you for truly serving me and not just seeking to please me but seeking to take actions and words which are true and which are loving and which are to my flourishing. And the verse which I need to always kind of meditate on in regards to this is in, in Galatians 1.10, because we all, I especially always have that issue of you, you, it's so easy to be consumed by trying to please people and keep people happy as opposed to truly loving them and truly serving them. And, uh, and in Galatians 1.10, Paul says this, For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. And I meditate on this, number one, because it challenges me in where my allegiance really lies. But number two, it gives me hope. Do you see that? It's really subtle, but where he says, For if I still please men. That word still gives me hope because it means that that's something for which he struggled with but now he's being obedient to Christ. He said, Look, I, I, if I still did this, if I still lived to please men, I would no longer be this. And, and he not only puts forward this, this, this confrontation of that you cannot serve both man and God. It is either you are pleasing Christ or you are pleasing man. There's, there's not one or the other. He puts them in stark contrast to each other. But then that word still gives me hope because I'm like, if that was true for Paul, if that was true that he used to be here, but by God's grace he is now here, full on bondservant of Christ. That means that me, somewhere in between, I have hope. That that word still gives me hope that Jesus can change me just as he changed Paul. And then it continues on. And in verse 10, so Jesus said to him, he, well, sorry, go from verse 9 again. Simon Peter comes up with another objection. He has quite a few objections. He's a, you know, smart guy. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. He says, look, hey, don't just do the feet, do it all. He's like, you know, don't just serve me this way. Fine, I'm, I'm in, come on. And Jesus is like, ah, oh, steady on, Peter, steady on. And he says, Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet but it's completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. As we kind of see in, 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 Jesus, in, in, Paul, in Peter, Peter's uh, kind of conversation with Jesus, we also see Peter had that desire of wanting to do it all himself. Come on, I know Jesus, I've got this covered, I've got this covered. 
And as we read through this, and as, we'll come, as we come to the end of this text, we'll see this, that we are called to serve one another. So that involves me serving, but that also means me being served. And first and foremost, we cannot, the, the, the greatest gift which Jesus gave us, we could not earn. We just had to just stay there and let God serve us. Literally just be there and let Jesus wash us. But we also see that with each other, we also need to serve each other and also allow ourselves to be served at times as well. And then in verse 11, For he knew who would betray him, therefore he said, You are not all clean. Among the disciples, not only was Jesus washing the disciples, of, of, and he knows these guys are going to flee him. And in terms of Peter, he knows he's going to deny him. But think about it, he is getting down and he is washing Judas's feet. He knows that Judas is going to betray him and he washes his feet. I mean, think about it. If I'm, I'll be honest, if that was me, I'd be like, if I knew if somebody was going to betray me like that, you'd be like, okay, there's okay, Peter and there's, the, there's John and then, and then uh, oh, Judas, yeah, 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 I think I've went out of order. Sorry, dude. You know, you'd be like, uh, next guy, next guy, this guy, nah, not Judas. But Jesus knowing and Jesus, and the text is so clear, he, John writing this wants us to learn that Jesus knows this. He knows that, Jesus, that Judas will betray him and yet he washes his feet. And I wonder how Judas felt. I mean, we already know that it's already in his heart to do this. Judas, imagine Judas coming to Jesus and Jesus washing his feet and Judas knowing, what he, feeling in his heart what he's going to do already and Jesus looking up at him and washing his feet. Here we see that true service will often call us to serve those who will betray us or in, in other words to serve those who are our enemies. There will be moments where he calls us to serve those who will betray us. And the only way we can do that is if we are confident in who we are in Christ and that we are confident in how the story ends. We know that God is in control and that he will bring all things to completion. And there will be moments when we're called to serve each other. And there will be moments where we serve those and we, we don't even know they're going to betray us. And I love how Jesus, he knew and he still did it. So for us it needs to be, is, are there people in my life or a person in my life who Christ is saying, you need to serve this person. And I'm like, but Lord, you don't know what they did to me. Oh Lord, you don't know. You, you, you don't know. And Jesus is like, I do know. I'm still calling you to serve. And as we kind of looked at that, it doesn't mean people pleasing, that doesn't mean enabling, but it means us sacrificially looking to lovingly serve others. And then it continues on. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? So he does this act. He then steps back, sits down and says, do you guys know what I've done? Do you understand what I've done? And thankfully he explains it because uh, as many of the disciples have been, yeah, yeah, I get it, yeah, yeah. No, you don't get it, you don't get it. Just listen. This is, uh, this is, what, this is, what, this is what I was going on about. In verse 13 he says this, you call me teacher and Lord and you say well for so I am. He says, Look, you, you call me teacher. You call me somebody who instructs you and teaches you. And that I am. You've got that right. 
but you also go a step further and you call me Lord. And that word Lord is, is just master. And, and it is integral that we have both as Christians. Because if we just see Jesus as our teacher, we may take in everything, but we'll fail to act on it. But if we see him as master, not only will we be willing to listen at his feet, but when he speaks, we'll then be willing to be obedient and act on it. Verse 14, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. As disciple, he says that I have, I have done this. And if I am truly your Lord and if I am truly your teacher, then follow me and do what I have just done. Not just literally, but symbolically how I have taken the lowest position and humbled myself and served others. Now do the same. And it's that word, one another. Because so often we, like Peter, be like, I'm cool, I've got, uh, you know what, you know what, Lord, I'm actually really good and uh, I'm just going to serve everybody and uh, I don't need to be served, I don't need help. (laughs) You want to wash my feet? But no, Jesus reminds us that we ourselves are not God and we ourselves are not Jesus and we, as we serve people, also need to be served. And actually, in us allowing others to serve us is actually an act of service. And I kind of realised this a few years ago when, my, uh, when I used to go around my uh, grandparents' house before my grandma passed away. And I used to, um, it was about a, couple, well, about a year and a bit ago, for, for a number of, kind of, for about over a couple of years, every so often I'd kind of go around their house and I would kind of help them, you know, kind of do gardening. I know, right, gardening. I used to do gardening. You know, as, yeah, it was actually kind of cool. Um, uh, I used to do a bit of gardening or kind of hoovering or just stuff like that. You just physically just weren't really able to do anymore. Uh, and and after after every time, um, they would they would give me a bit of money. And then I'd kind of be walking on home and be like, ah, oh, why, why do I have to? Get, I don't want I don't want money. I mean, why are they give me money? Uh, I was like, ah, oh, I wish they really didn't give me money. I'm like, what would other people think? I mean, they're my grandparents. I should be doing this for money. They're like. And then I remember after kind of several times of this happening, and there was there was kind of after this one day, I kind of I kind of spoke to him. I said, "No, no, it's okay. You know, you don't you don't need to give me money. You know, I'm you know I'm happy to do this without you giving me money." And that's kind of this kind of little bit of awkward tension. That's kind of like, and then I was walking home. I was like, I don't really get it. And then it kind of dawned on me. I think they knew that I would gladly do it for free. They knew I would serve. You know, they knew I. They knew I would help them. They, they, they knew that I wasn't basically doing it for the money. Well, I hope they did anyway. I'm pretty sure they did. They knew I wasn't doing it for the money. But them giving me that money was a way of them showing their gratitude and was a way of them blessing me. And sometimes in my pride, I was kind of like, oh, I, don't, you know, I don't want to accept this. I don't need this. But actually, in me actually accepting it, it was me saying, you know, I understand. thank you. It's like, I accept, yeah, it's like, thank you. And it's like, I didn't need that money, but it was a way of allowing them to serve me. It was a way of allowing them to show their love and gratitude towards me. And me not taking that money actually would have been robbing them of that. And sometimes there'll be moments, yes, we're going to be called to serve, but that word one another in the text means that we also are going to have to be in the position (laughs) to be served. It's a two-way thing. And the way in which we do that is, is the only way we can really do it is when we're in fellowship and in community with each other. 
that we're able to be in those places and opportunity to serve one another and also be served by one another. And in verse 15 he says, For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done. Sorry, that you should do, yeah, as I have done to you. He says that this is an example. What I have done, now go and do to others. And it says, 16, Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is no greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. Throughout the Gospels, we see this, that to be a follower of Jesus means to be a servant and he is the master. And it also means to be a messenger and he is the sender. And he reminds us here, no servant is greater than his master and no messenger is greater than the one who sent him. If I am willing to do this, then I'm calling you to do the same. And then in verse 17, this is where we'll close it, he says this, because out of all of this, all of this service, Jesus then gives a promise. He says this, If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Jesus' promise to his disciples and to us is this. It's not just if you know these things, but if you know these things and put them into practice, you'll be blessed. That doesn't mean we're going to be getting like a fast car and a big house. I'm pretty sure he doesn't mean blessing that way. But as we serve, we'll see that Jesus blesses us. For me personally, in my own life, kind of thinking about it over the last few days, if I look back at some of the greatest memories and moments of my life, they've often been linked to serving. I'm kind of like, oh, I got to do this, and I got to do this, and I got to meet these people and, and serve in this way. And often they're serving in little ways, but I'm like, yeah, I get to do this. And I'm like, imagine if I was not in those positions and in being available to give myself and my time, I would have missed out on some of the greatest moments of my life. And I think that is the same for all of us. If we look back at some, and sometimes they're the hardest times of serving. Sometimes people are in your face or it's just, yeah, it's just hard, but then you kind of step back and look back and be like, wow, I saw this happen and I was part of this and actually, this is really cool. We are given this beautiful promise. And I like how he says, if you know these things and do them, because we're all in danger of just knowing things, but failing to do them. He says that if you know these things and you do them, you're going to be blessed by it. Trust me. There are going to be moments where it is difficult, it is dirty, it is uncomfortable. You've got people in your grill saying, you're not doing this right, you should be serving me this way and this way, and yet if we hold true and we hold firm, we begin to see God use us in ways we never would have imagined to affect people in ways we never would have thought and it was simply from us being available and being ready to serve. So my prayer for you guys and for me is this, to examine my own heart and be like, okay, in my service to first and foremost Christ but then as he then calls me to serve other people, how am I doing? Am I truly counting the cost and willing to... Is, it, is my service costly? Is my service that which is seeped in humility 
Or am I seeking just to, to please people and avoid true cost and avoid true service? Why am I seeking to follow my king and get down and get dirty and be served, but also allowing him to serve me through others? And the way in which we do it is through the power of his Holy Spirit because it does take a miracle to do that kind of service, especially, and especially one of the things which really dawned on me with him is, is, is with Jesus is he was in a moment of great sorrow. Man, if I was in this position, if I knew I was going to die and be abandoned, I would, I, I would be like, you know what guys, I need to, you know, go and hang out with yourselves. I'm going to, I'm going to go on my own. I'm going to chill out here, over here, you know. You, you know, be like, you guys are showing me, man. You don't know what I'm about to do. I'm like, and there are moments where we fail to serve people because we become like that. We become like, man, God, if you only knew what I was going through right now, if only you knew how I was feeling right now, what had happened to me right now, and then but Jesus says, no, 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 shh, be quiet, Daniel. I know, and I know ten times more, and I'm still calling you to serve. But, but Lord, how do I do that? And he's like, remember who you are in me, what I've called you to do and that your end is secure and that I've given you a helper, the Holy Spirit, to enable you to do this. And I love how in Jesus' greatest moments of weakness he was still able to serve. And one of the most practical things we see in, in that regard as well is when he's on the cross and he sees his mum and he sees John and, and, and he, he basically entrusts his mother's care to his friend and disciple John and the guy's got nails in him and he's struggling to breathe and he's slowly dying and yet he's still caring for others. And it reminds me of my grandma when a week before she was passed away of cancer and we're kind of, and I'm sitting next to her in the hospital and she, you know, she's got kind of breathing tube and she's very frail and very, you know, and I'm on one side and mum's on the other and then she's kind of talking to my mum, kind of barely trying to make words out. And she was asking about how we were about how I was, I'm like, how I am? How are you, man? Forget about me. <laughs> and she was in that place where, uh, she, such a lovely woman of God, who she, even in the months, even amongst pain and sorrow, was able and willing to look to others and seek to ask after others and bless others and serve others. And one of the verses which I've been meditating on this week, and I'll bring it to a close here, because Jesus, in that place of moment, uh, in that place of where his heart is in that place, he knows emotionally what's going to happen, even spiritually and physically what's going to happen. And there will be moments where we are in the weakest place and Jesus calls us to serve, but thankfully he also puts people in our lives to serve us at the same time. And it reminds me of what, John, uh, sorry, what Paul says in his letter in 2 Corinthians and verse 9. Oh, should we go a bit further, actually? We'll go from verse 7. So, Second Corinthians 12, verse 7, he says this, Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, the fallen in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. And concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And this is what Jesus says to him. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. 
And therefore, most gladly, I will rather, this is Paul speaking, rather boast in my infirmities than that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Those verses are encouraging and also challenging because it tells me that Jesus will at times allow me and call me to be in a place of weakness so that his strength will be magnified. Which is scary because I'm like, as any guy, I think girls as well, I don't know. Yeah. And I'm, well, I'm speaking as a guy point of view, I like the idea of being strong. I like the idea of being solid and strong. And, and obviously we see that for us because we are called to be solid people and, and we are called to be strong, but strong in him to the point that when we are physically and emotionally weak, he is our rock and he is our strength. So may, as we go throughout this week, remember that Jesus' grace is sufficient for us and his strength is made perfect in weakness and because of that, he enables us to serve even when we're hurting and even when it costs us. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you for your word and for this, uh, this beautiful example you give of what it means to serve. And, uh, and I love how you give us this, this, this demonstration of that. And my prayer, uh, and my, my prayer is this, that you would enable us to live this out. That promise at the end that we, if you know these things and if you do them, then you're, you're blessed. Father, enable us to put these things into practice. That when we are in weak, then when we are weak, that you would be our strength, that you would be strong, that you would enable us to still lovingly serve, humbly serve, with you as our focal point, with you as our master, but also being willing and available to be served by others as well. Because Lord knows we need each other, we and we need you. We need you first and foremost, but then you call us to be in community because you call us not to do this walk on our own. So by your Holy Spirit, empower us to serve in a way which we cannot do on our own, in the way which you've called us to serve, with you as our perfect example. By your Holy Spirit, empower us to do that which we cannot do on our own. In your name, Jesus. Amen.